When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. Today's guest is Andrew Dost, pianist, vocalist, and multi-instrumentalist for the New York City pop rock band Fun. Together, we dive in headfirst and dissect the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the smash hit single, We Are Young, taken from their 2012 album, Some Nights. Fun have the dubious honor of having the biggest song to date to be broke down and analyzed here on Krista Makes a Podcast. This song was massive. Andrew was so kind as to send some initial working demos of We Are Young that he shared with us here. To see the seeds of a song planted and come to life through demos is always so cool. I told Andrew that this track, to me, is like a grandiose 11-minute rock opera, somehow condensed down to 4 minutes and 10 seconds of amazing pop pleasure. This song is hook after hook. Producer Jeff Basker brought the song to life with the rest of the band, his enthusiasm and passion guiding the way throughout the whole process. And who knew the guys in fun chowed down on Brussels sprouts in the studio to give them that extra bit of creative flow? I certainly didn't. For all this and a lot of fun, don't touch that dial. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Andrew, how you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. We, we were joking before we started recording a little bit that I, I feel like I just saw you, and in fact, I did. <laughs> uh, less, than, less than Jake played St. Andrew's Hall in Detroit uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, you graced me with your presence. It was a, a, a real pleasure to... I know we probably met in the, in the past somewhere, uh, you know, on, on tour, warp Tour somewhere, but uh, actually, you know, shaking your hand and meeting you, I think, you know, that was my first memory of it, so awesome to, to meet you. Yeah, it was so good. We we had met in Europe on the bus because I, I was I'm I'm friends with Vinny and friends with JR. Mm-hmm. And so we had met a long but it was brief, but um that was my only other real encounter personally, other than years and years of listening to your music. And I don't know how much you like to get into your own work on this podcast, but I've got some questions and things some some agendas <laughs> of my own here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, lo- I love that. And, you know, I, I, you never know. People like to, to pop into shows and say hello. I know you, you came out to, to talk to JR, our sax player in Detroit, the other night. But when I met you, I had just kind of innocently said to you, like, hey, man, great to, you know, 
see you. You taking off? You're going to be here after this. You're like, dude, I'm staying for the show. It's the Hello Rockview show. And that meant a lot to me. So thank you. <laughs> oh, man. It's one of my favorite all-time records. And yeah, hearing hearing History of a Boring Town, was it was my first experience with Less Than Jake. And it just, I, I mean, I it, it changed my life. It changed the trajectory of my life. It made me want to really get serious about playing music. So, I mean, thank you for that. It just is a monumental record to me. That is, uh, that, that means, that means the world to me. Thank you for, for the kind words and your career. Let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, this band fun, I don't know. I'm sure people have said this to you. Like, would you call it a super group? What do you call it? It's just, to me, it was a a couple friends coming together. Hmm. And the minute that I heard the band, I was like, wow. I mean, you really do have your own sound. The band, no, nothing sounds like it to me. And yeah, you can say, oh, the vocals sound like Queen. This sounds like, yeah, yeah. You can hear those influences, but man, what a unique band. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I think it, it worked out really well, just the things that we all bring to the table in terms of our skill sets and what we wanted the band to be and what we all listened to. And it just really, um, for lack of a better word, it was just a lot of fun. Like it was, we really had a good time making music together. Right. And this particular song, We Are Young, do you remember how it initially came together? The the seeds? Because I know you sent me, <laughs> you shared with us some really, really cool stuff. The <laughs> opening Tom beat, that uh, demo that you had sent me. And then I heard some, uh, some of the vocals from the I think it was the second demo you sent, like the part, like tonight, like tonight, like the, you know, the vocal fluctuations, they were already there on that first demo. That was so cool. Yeah, so so Nate, like in the demo that you're referring to, is just kind of like mumbling the melody. Yeah. But before before that was, we were messing around in the studio in upstate New York, and I really wanted to write a song, kind of like uh, there was a Modest Mouse song. Uh 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 uh. I can't remember the name of it, but it's on you know Good News for People Who Love Bad News. And I just had this kind of thought, like, it's time for us to make a song that's that good. And, like, I'm going to kind of do that. So you can hear that a little bit in the demo with the... That plus being super inspired by My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye and that song Runaway. It pretty much is a ripoff of Runaway that, that I made <laughs> and then sent to Nate. And then he came back to me and was like, okay, it's good. I've got an idea for how the melody is going to work, but it needs to really slow down into the chorus. The chorus can't be that fast. 
So it needs to really mm-hmm. open up in the chorus. And then so we started kind of playing with that. So if by the time the bar closes and, and then and then so that like pre-chorus beat kind of takes a minute to get into the chorus and then the chorus is a full on shutdown. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I remember all of it pretty well. I remember the process pretty well because it I, I you know, it was fun. It was fun for us to kind of like crack the puzzle of like the tempo map and the the feel of how it ought to open up and all that stuff. This song almost shouldn't work. <laughs> you know, it, it is it is one of the strangest arrangements. Parts come in that never happen again. Um, I kind of equate this song. I'll use the Queen example. It's like, you know, a, a Bohemian Rhapsody and it like, you know, some grandiose opus, like 10, 11 minutes that you were able to condense into a four minute pop song. It goes through these little different, uh, almost operatic changes. When you get to that bridge part, it's like, what is happening now? Uh-huh. And as you said, the, the, the tempo map, the tempo changes in the song, is just really interesting. And then the coda at the end is just goosebumps for days. And all you want to do is rewind the track and hear it again. Man, that is so kind of you. Um, yeah, it it just I I mean we're huge Queen fans, which I think anybody that has heard our band probably can tell. And then also like Beach Boys, like you can hear that in some of the backing vocals. And and in, like you mentioned like things coming in just once or twice. Like that's one of my favorite things on like Pet Sounds for example, you just hear like a ukulele hit once. And <laughs> yeah. and it's just like what why why? <laughs> but I've always loved that. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need it more than once. Just give us a taste. Well, I'm not the only one that thinks this is a unique and amazing song. I mean, this... This song is still moving. If you Just the YouTube plays alone, the views are at over 1 billion. I can't comprehend 1 billion. The only time I ever saw 1 billion in my life is when McDonald's used to put on the sign how many hamburgers (laughs) they sold. You can't comprehend a billion. Congratulations. And I I still hear the song everywhere I go. It's in malls. It's just part of, you know, it got into TV shows like Glee and different things. It just, it transcended anything I, uh, and probably you ever thought we'd ever be able to do in a band, right? Oh, for sure. It it was just shocking to me like I always kind of thought like I'll I'll be like making like little weirdo indie songs and that's cool like I, I love that I love like the people that listen to our music and the people that found our band and then suddenly it was this leap into a world where it was just like very very foreign to us well and this song you know it's not some down-tuned like modern sound it, it is a modern sound but the the 50s progression mm. in here you know it's the it's the old one six four five you know uh, that thing uh ed sheeran harnesses that very well he'll take oh, yeah. old stuff and make it sound new and and this song has that uh, i can sing some of these 50 standards over this song but sure. y- you wouldn't hear it if you didn't sit down with a guitar and comb through it like it. i'm like wow you know the basis of this song is just old rock and roll but all the elements and production that you guys did to it it just and the fact that it's 10 years old now 11 years old it still sounds as current today as anything on the radio well thank you i mean i think we can give we can give our producer jeff Asker a lot of credit for that he introduced us to the the moog voyager which provides the low end provides the, the basic basically what i consider to be like the the, the heart of the song it just once that hits in the chorus right. it just you can feel it and that beat that big that big you know long snare that was jeff right. you know so he's really good and and throughout the album that we made with him he was really good about finding different ways to kind of modernize and refresh the ideas we had and kind of make them more 
more universal, more palatable, more unique. He, he's just a very, very skilled producer for sure. I feel like all the pieces of the puzzle were there on this. I had read somewhere that he drove himself crazy mixing this song for like two <laughs> weeks because he wanted it to be just right because, you know, it, it's such a, a grand song. Um, but I feel like it was it was everybody here. You, you almost wonder, you know, what if you went with another great producer? Would it have come out like this? Funny you mentioned that because we had another producer come out while we were working in upstate New York writing in, in the sessions that spawned, um, we, you know, we, we, we rented a studio and slept there. And out of that came Carry On, Some Nights, uh, the beginnings of a few more songs. But we had a producer come out there. He even stayed with us. We made Brussels sprouts together. And, you know, we had like a little like <laughs> retreat. And it was, it was really fun. We really got along well. Uh, it was Dennis Herring, who were huge fans of. He had just come off making the Waves record, um, King of the Beach which I was obsessed wow. with. Let the sun burn my eyes, let it burn my back, let it burn through my thighs, up the wide, wide open. He had great ideas, especially with Carry On. We kind of made a demo that was relatively well fleshed out. And it just didn't work for one reason or another. We, we just couldn't kind of come to an agreement on whether it was money or schedule. I don't remember but it didn't work with Dennis. And we kind of thought like, well, let's shoot for the moon here in terms of like, we love Drake, we love Kanye. We love, you know, just generally this like futurism that Jeff is bringing into the world. So like, let's try to work with Jeff. And I think yeah. he ended up liking the songs and it ended up working out. Yeah, no, this this track, Some Nights, that's another one. Just the the vocals on that. What, you know, <laughs> that song's just, just absolutely beautiful. But, you know, this track... Again, when you were putting it together, okay, and I ask this a lot in the show, you know, you're, you're into the album, you got seven, eight songs cooking. Where did this one sit for you? What'd you think? I think, I think we knew relatively early on. Yeah, it came about, yeah, maybe six or seven songs in, and I think we were kind of like, that's the one. That, that'll do. But I kind of have felt that way about every song that I've ever done, and maybe that's ego and maybe that's misplaced but i do think it's kind of like well i've also like thrown away a lot of stuff that i just didn't want to even finish and so generally when i finish something or when we finish something as a band we kind of thought like cool that one's a, that one's good and then with this one the difference i guess was that when we played it for people they were like whoa like can i can i get a copy of that can you send me that demo can i hear like i want to hear more of that and usually yeah. when i send people stuff they're like cool you, you that's a, that's good you you did you know all right cool and then with this one hey, it was good like, job can i can i give me that please and so that was kind of our clue that it was like oh this is this is working pretty well that's really interesting well you uh mentioned that jeff uh the producer that he you know making those blown out snare sounds were those samples or did he create all those well this is a, a little trade secret that i don't know if anybody has publicly talked about uh so, uh -oh. so it started as a sample it started as a sample of Microphone Fiend by Eric B. and Rakim. And so if you listen to that, oh you can hear it towards the end. It's, it's that. It is that snare. It is that kick. And it's huge. But they wanted to charge us to use it, of course, as samples. You know, that's how they work. 
Uh, sure. And we didn't have any money, so we replaced it. We recreated it. So, I mean, it's it sounds pretty darn close, but it is a recreation of that initial idea of being a sample. Um, but it's original. That is so cool. So you you heard something you loved. You know, like I am. You know, we're not going to pay a licensing fee, but we could emulate that. We can get it get it close. And uh, I don't think you could have got it any better. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish we could have used the original, just because how cool is that to sample Eric B and Rakim? I mean, I, I love it. Um, <laughs> and we did that a couple times on the record, where it was like, I wish we could use that, but we just can't afford it. So let's figure out how else to do it. Which which maybe provoked some some. I don't know if innovation is the right word, but it made us work a little harder, which I think usually, you know, you give yourself a boundary or a parameter and it makes you get creative within that. So I think it worked. Right. And for everyone listening, you know, you you put out a record before some nights that it, it sold modestly. But, you know, you guys were still kind of trying to figure this whole thing out. So coming into this, you know, you were just still writing songs and yeah, you were excited about them. You're, you're writing these new songs or they're exciting. Or is, I don't think there's any ego there. Uh, and then what happens to your band <laughs> when this yeah. song hits? It's just it's it's incredible. I don't think anybody I've talked to my friends that have had hits like this, which, by the way, uh, this is the biggest song we've ever had in the podcast in three years. Oh, cool. Uh, in terms of chart success and Grammys and whatnot. And we've sure. had some pretty darn big songs on here. So congratulations. Thank you. I mean, that's an honor. I, I love this podcast. <laughs> and I love the way you kind of really thoughtfully dig into stuff. And like, even in, as far as like from ear to ear, what's happening. And, you know, I just think yeah. that's because I think about songwriting in the same way in production. And I just think like, why this word? Why this choice? Because there's an infinitely forking path of where you can take anything, as you know, as a yes. songwriter. And the way that these decisions get made to be this final thing is always so fascinating to me. So I love hearing you dissect these songs. Oh, man. Well, thank you. Well, well, let's dissect. Let, let's get nerdy. All, <laughs> all right? right. All right. All right. The track's four minutes and 10 seconds. We are young. There's that four-bar Tom drum intro before we get into verse one. And I know Chris is going to play that sample here pretty soon because you sent it to us and here it is. That wasn't the sample that we ended up using on the recording. It was just some weird kind of happy accident that that came out of that original demo that, you know, Jeff recreated with with samples from I think that sample came from Plain Pat and basically Jeff Jeff was like this is how the song has to start it has to start with the toms and he was like well, as soon as you hear those toms you know what song it is you're going to like know it's going to be this introduction to the song that in in the club at a show you're going to hear that and you're going to know and he was like when people hear the toms they're going to get up and so he, you know, jumped out of his chair. And Jeff did that a lot during the recording process. He would like get up and like he would, you know, <laughs> pretend to flick a lighter or whatever. And Jeff was just always like, this is how people are going to react to this part, to this thing. And so that was kind of like, this is the first song we worked on with Jeff. And so that was my introduction to him was his like very physical, visceral reactions to things and how he wanted things to hit the ear and to hit the, the audience. And it was just so cool to me to think like, oh, you know, I've never really thought about that. I've only really thought about yeah. like what sounds cool to me and not really like how 
on the radio, if you flip to this, you hear, you know, I, it was just really cool to hear him break it down in that way. Yeah. Some of these producers are like mad scientists. They get in there, you know, like it's almost like they're poor man psychiatrists. I've said that before and something's hitting this guy, but what a great energy in the studio to have the producer jumping up going, this is how it makes me feel. And it's going to make other people yeah. feel this way. And you're like, what's he talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and, and just, to, yeah, just to, to feel that contagious energy and to, to try to translate to that to the track. It is, yeah, it was just fantastic. Give me a second. I, I need to get my story straight. My friends are in the bathroom getting higher than the Empire State. My lover, she is waiting for me just across the bar. My seat's been taken by some sunglasses, asking about a scar. And I know I gave it to you months ago. I know you're trying to forget. But between the drinks and subtle things, the holes in my apologies, you know, I'm trying hard to take it back. Give me a second. I, I need to get my story straight. My friends are in the bathroom getting higher than the Empire State. My lover, she's waiting for me just across the bar. My seat's been taken by some sunglasses asking about a scar. And I know I gave it to you months ago. I know you're trying to forget. But between the drinks and subtle things, the holes in my apologies, you know, I'm trying hard to take it back. That's Nate's lyrics and... It's kind of classic Nate Roos to me in terms of like, it's got a little bit of kind of wit. It's got a little bit of bite to it. Seat's been taken by some sunglasses. That to me is kind of a dig. <laughs> and it's also it's also a synecdoche, which I really always like. We get a lot of grief for the Scar lyric about, is this song about domestic violence or something? And always have to say, no, it's, you know, it's metaphorical. It's an emotional thing. It's whatever. And... Yeah, generally, I, I just like to think of, of when you open a song, you're really setting the scene and you're really, um, right. you're, you're really like giving people a world. And Pat Patterson says it's like a bag of dye that then drips down over the rest of the lyrics, which I always think is really cool. Like you, you just are, are shading every word that's going to come after it with this opening scene that you set. So, you know, we're in a bar, we're on the seats, there's an empty seat. It's putting you in a place, which I've always really appreciated. I love it. I love the delivery. And it's also, it's so, like I said, this is like a, an 11-minute song that you guys somehow shrunk down and made a pop song out of, but this part never repeats. This delivery never repeats again. You don't even get it in the second verse. It's a different feel. And that's really interesting for a pop, a four-minute pop song that is this popular. You know, this is like, this first verse to me is like an intro. It's setting up mm. the story, the song. I remember the first time I heard it. I was... I was hooked by the third line. My friends are in the bathroom getting higher than the Empire State. It's like, well, who can't relate to that? You know, how many bars you've been to that you've you've seen that or sure. you've been a part of and you know, the 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 sunglasses, the never even thought about a lyric like the scar, but as big as this song got, you know, that's gonna be exponential people having their eyes on it and giving you that fan mail and that feedback. Yeah, yeah. It it was interesting to have to kind of consider after the fact, like, oh, I didn't, I didn't really think that that might go over that way. And like, is that harmful? Is, is that, you know, going to be a problem? Is that too intense? I, I, is it triggering? I don't know. Um, cause we were mm. just kind of thinking like, it's a good lyric. It works. <laughs> well, there's, there's a lot of information going on here. 
And again, I think it's about Nate's delivery with it that gets you in that headspace to want to listen to this. You know, there's times when, when, when someone's just barking lyrics, be it, you know, it could be all kinds of different music where, you know, there, there's key words and things in there that aren't uh, roping you in. And I feel that you get roped in here. Uh, right off the top on verse one, the piano joins the drums here, playing single chords on bars one, three, five, seven, and eight. Hmm. And then halfway through around, I know I gave it to you months ago, that marching band snare comes in. The piano gets busier and playful there. So how this song builds is awesome. You know, those snares aren't really predominant there. They're there, but you're still feeling and hearing that tom part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it opens up little by little, I think. And and I always like when a piano, you know, the chords start to break and arpeggiate, and it just makes things move a little differently. And then you get that, yeah, that rolling snare that makes things kind of move a little differently. And I guess I always think about this song in terms of the shutdown at the at the pre-chorus into the chorus, but now that you're mentioning it, it <laughs> yeah. really does kind of unfold piece by piece in that way, and it grows a little bit throughout. It does, and I'm and I'm assuming you played the piano on this whole track. Was that all you? I did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. do you recall because I, what you do here is perfect. The piano was it, you know, kind of off the cuff. You do a couple passes, or did you have something? Are you the kind of guy that goes in the ideas completely worked out? It varies. This one was worked out, but in that original demo, it was totally different. It was, I wanted to do some like upbeats, like, and so I was even going to try to do that into the recording. And then Jeff was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> and so, okay. so just breaking up the chords. Um, and so, yeah. And, and it's, it's a grand piano as well as uh, Nord, just the, the stock kind of piano sound on a Nord together just to give it a little bit, um, kind of the warmth and richness of a grand, but also kind of the point and like plinky plunky sound that the Nord piano has, which I think you hear more in the chorus when it kind of, you get, it just thickens so much. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to tell a story with the, with each instrument, I think too, in addition to the, the vocals. Great. And something I did mention at the top, that Tom part, the more I listen to it, it it's almost rock, that part. And I'm, I'm going to say that's the first part of the song. We're going through different, you know, whatever you want to call them, uh, chapters or segments of the song. But uh, you get that drum into it. It almost reminds me of, I don't know if you ever heard the song, Everybody Wants Some by Van Halen. It's mm-hmm. off their third record. Yeah. And it starts with this Tom thing. You know, so you get this rock thing, but then you go into this verse, the delivery's different, where the piano comes in. And now we're getting to a completely another passage in the song to me, which I'm calling the pre-chorus. I guess you would agree the next part is that? I would. I don't know that it's a traditional pre-chorus in that, like, to bring it back to Van Halen, one of my all-time favorite pre-choruses in uh, Dance the Night Away. Ooh, baby, baby. Like that, that to me is a classic pre-chorus. Oh yeah. Um, whereas this is more of a emptying out or a clearing of the clear, clear the mechanism kind of a thing. But yes, that I, I would call it the pre-chorus. Take it back. So if by the time the bar closes and you feel like falling down, I'll carry you home tonight. So if by the time the bar closes and you feel like falling down. 
I'll Carry You Home. And uh, it breaks down to a single piano chords here and a vocal. It just kind of draws you in from what happened in the verse. You know, it's just, it's just down to the piano. It gets very personal there. And there's really no count. I tried counting it different ways to when the chorus hits you. And it's jarring, hmm. but it's perfect. <laughs> does that make sense? It does. It's, it's I mean, jarring. It's jarring, but perfect. <laughs> it's the it's the hey, 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 hey. smoke weed yes. every day syndrome where where you just like you can't you can't count it. You, you can try. You're never gonna get it. Hey, hope you're ready for the next episode. Hey. Smoke weed every day. That's exactly it. And then you're in a completely different world. At 50 seconds, we hit chorus one. You home tonight. We are young. So let's set the world on fire. We can burn brighter You got that. I believe you called it a Moog. I've always called it a Moog. Did you say Moog earlier? I, I mix it up. <laughs> I did I did say Moog. <laughs> okay. But I also say Moog. It depends on, you know, if you had if you had said it first, I would have followed suit. You know, I don't really know what it is. Oh. Okay. Tomato tomato. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna call it I'm gonna call it a Moog. Okay, but cool. uh, man, you can really hear that fifties progression here. You know, it's the Happy Days progression. It's uh, the mm. the theme song for that show. These days are yeah. us happy and free. Happy days. These days are us. Share them with me. Goodbye, gray sky. Which you guys have covered, right? Yes, we have. <laughs> it's it's the old blue moon. The old yeah, uh, yes, it's, it's this totally. 50s standards. Mm-hmm. But I hear that progression here. I absolutely love it. Again, it's not some detune, downtune thing. Not saying that couldn't have worked for many million great songs, but uh, just love that it. It sounds old, but it sounds fresh and new here. The drums get blown out. We were talking about that here, particularly the snare. Piano is playing a staccato part along with the low growl of the Moog synth running throughout. And is that an electric bass or synth bass? There is an electric bass in addition to the Moog. So so the Moog is laying okay. these like long, low tones, which allowed uh, Jack played the bass and it let him be a little more percussive with the bass guitar to ding, ding, ding. You know, he could dig in a little bit. And we weren't as reliant on that supplying the low end. It could it could be a little more of the grit and of the like movement um, because the you know the bass is taken care of. So that was kind of a new idea to us. We're like, oh, we don't have to fill the bass out with the bass guitar. It's already there. The bass guitar can do something else. That is so cool. I, I love the tone of the bass. The, the low end is perfect where it sits with with the vocal. It's just it's awesome. Uh, the lyric is tonight we are young. So let's set the world on fire. We can burn brighter than the sun. And it repeats, tonight we are young. So let's set the world on fire. We can burn brighter than the sun. On the second time on Then the Sun, we get the first harmonies in the song. And uh, Andrew, the vocals here sound 
maybe even tripled. They're definitely doubled. Do you recall? I do. <laughs> uh, the, the main lead that's eight, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which, which, again, was a new technique to me. I, I think I had only ever doubled anything in the studio, which I always love, you know, from the time I like had a little four track recorder in my bedroom in high school, goofing around and thinking like, I think I thought, I, I think I thought that I had like invented that technique and then hearing yeah. it with like, oh, everybody does that. Elliot Smith has been doing that for years. And so has everyone since the history of multi-track recording. But uh, Jeff was like more, you know, let's, let's, let's do more and more and more. And it ended up being eight of Nate singing. The harmonies are multi-tracked as well, not to that degree, but there are eight leads there. Unreal. It's masterfully done because I can't hear that many. I hear, I, I thought like three, maybe, uh, the way that's layered and the way that it's mixed, it, it doesn't sound like it's overdone, but what a great sound though. It's super, super full and it distinguishes between uh, the verses or the pre-chorus that happens before it for sure. This whole part, is just like another song that comes on. Uh, I think I think that's what I love about this track so much is it feels like different songs at points that come mm. together. A lot of times when you do a mishmash like that, it doesn't work out. In this case, it's great. Chorus one here, uh, they're all double choruses. Was there any talk of like, saving it like let's only do do a half chorus the first time we may have played around with that a little bit but i think it just never felt right um Mm -hmm. it just was always like that's too short we need we need to do that again yeah because you're in again it's a completely different world it's almost like you got to stay in that world for for a little bit more than than one time through uh again the last line then the sun we get the first harmonies there do you remember there was any talk of harmonies anywhere else because there certainly could have been here I think that's, again, Jeff, with his his kind of infinite wisdom, knowing, like, when is it time to do more and when is it time to stop yourself from doing more? And that was a big lesson for me from from our first album, Aim and Ignite, into Some Nights, was, like, if, if you go back and listen to Aim and Ignite, there's, like, a lot going on. There's very kind of colorful arrangements that are probably a little too ostentatious at times. And with Some Nights, we wanted to pare that back a little bit to kind of the essentials. What is a song? Let's just stay for the most part in a groove. Although we're, we're talking about how We Are Young doesn't do that. But in general, let's not just yeah. saturate everything, every second. And so when those harmonies come in, sun, it feels a bit like clouds are breaking and the sun is shining through, or that was kind of the hope anyway. So that just open things up a bit before you close it again and go into the second verse. This is it, boys. This is Hey everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Andrew Dost coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Hey, it's Chris to Makes a Podcast producer, Chris Fafalius. Will you do me a favor real quick? Go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to One Hit Thunder. It's the show that I host with my good buddy, Matt Kelly, where we have guests from the world of music and comedy and art. And together, we dive deep into a band or artist that people consider a one-hit wonder and decide if they brought the thunder or were just a blunder. You'll laugh, you'll learn, maybe you'll get mad at us. 
Who knows? We have an enormous back catalog that includes episodes about Eagle Eye Cherry, Stacy Q, Looking Glass, The Weather Girls, Tag Team, Four Non Blondes, Martika, Creation, Sixpence None the Richer. I could go on and on. But how about you just subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods and experience the fun for yourself. And now, back to the show. Who all sang on the track? Uh, me and Jeff did the harmonies, in addition to, of course, Nate on leads. I don't believe Jack Unreal. sang. And then, of, of course, Janelle Monet doing the bridge, which I'm sure we'll get to in a second here. <laughs> right, absolutely. So, yeah, I was, I was wondering uh, uh, who all did the vocals. Obviously, I, I knew Nate did his thing. But we get into verse two, and right at the start of it, there's this huge breath inhale. And for those listening... You know, a lot of times I'll hear my breath in songs and I'll go in and chop it out. And you can do that sometimes and get away with it. But a lot of times you want to hear those breaths and those emotions. Uh, one of the first people I could think was Michael Jackson. You know, his mm. what he, his whole thing, how he breathed, they left all those in because... I don't know. It just felt like you were closer to the to the singer. It, it it just gave it that that personal feeling. But starts off with a huge breath inhale here. No, I know that I'm not all that you got. I guess that I, I just thought maybe we could find new ways to fall in one. But our friends are back. Now I know that I'm not all that you got. I guess that I, I just thought. Maybe we could find new ways to fall apart, but our friends are back up. So let's raise a cup because I found someone to carry me home. Uh, Double unison vocals, at least on this verse that carries over here. Do you recall how many were here? Probably just two or three. Because you're talking about the, because I found someone to carry me home, like that part that kind of feels a little more more um, exposed? Well, yeah, there, there's other lines within here. And I'll tell you something else. These I always talk about them, the, the hooks within songs. Mm. The little hiccup, the little falsetto hook on the word just, just thought on that line. Yeah, it skips up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, I think, a testament to Nate's skill as a lead singer, how he, he just knows when when to pick those little moments to give it a little something extra. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'll hear I'll hear pop singers do that, like like Taylor Swift. And it's like it's almost like so sugar and saccharine cutesy. But like you can't you can't imagine the song without it. It's just those little nuances that just kind of give it, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I've done that before. I've had accents with my voice where I'm like, we got to redo that. The producer's mm. like, uh uh-uh. uh. That was cool. Yeah, it gives it a unique thing. And I, like, I've always loved the Cranberries and like Dolores O'Riordan's skip that, that her voice kind of did at the end of things. Yeah. It's so cool. But yeah, the second verse, I really, I always think of the second verse as being like a rule-breaking verse. Like you, you, you establish the rules in the first verse. You give the kind of foundations of what, you know, the, the parameters are, the rule book of the song. And then in the second verse, you either subvert that or you reinforce it generally. And so... One of the songs that I think does this really beautifully is All My Best Friends Are Metalheads. How there's a there's a there's a guitar line that comes in, but and from the first time I heard that I was like it blew my mind in terms of what the second verse can do. Don't you think it's strange that there's a way it's how you look and how you act and how you think pretend they are not the same as you. 
So in a lot of our songs, I always try to do that. All the pretty girls off the first album introduces a second set of you know vocals that come in and they act as a counter melody. Yeah, the second verse, break the rules. Well, for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I talked about there's a, there's a couple vocals here, it sounds like. One vocal almost sounds way, way pushed back, like it's an octave up, almost like a falsetto. Do you recall that happening there? I, I'm, I'm hmm. hearing that, like, buried deep. I think that is happening. I believe that maybe Nate doubled and then sang it staccato. Probably that. We also messed around with pitch a lot during the recordings a lot of octaves down, a lot of octaves up, a lot of vocoder. But I don't believe we pitch shifted that. I think that's actually just Nate singing in falsetto and, and then, you know, low in the mix. Along with that, we hear the drums, bass, and I'm hearing that Moog. They're all in here. Halfway through, maybe we could find new ways to fall apart. Panned off left, there's like this dun 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 dun. It's like a same note keyboard thing that happens. I just thought maybe we could find new ways to fall apart. I know there's some French horns there doing something like that. Yes. Bump, 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 bump. I'm doing that also on the piano. Yes. Okay. Again, and it sounds like, I don't know. It's almost like, the, where'd the marching band come from? But it's so <laughs> subtle. It's not like in your face, like, you know, a, a band with horns like my band or, or Chicago or something. It's there, but it's just the way this song was textured. And I keep harking back to what I read about Jeff. And I don't know if if this is true or not, but I mentioned earlier that he he slaved over this mix. He just couldn't yeah. stop, you know, obsessing about it. And I can see why, because of the way everything's layered here. It's just done beautifully. Yeah, he worked very hard on that. Listen to it in his, you know, in his car, take it back tweak something, go back to the car, go back to the the big speakers in the studio, the NS10s in the studio, just all different formats, all different situations, all different spaces. He he went very deep on it for sure. And I I just, I'm a sucker for horns. I, I, I grew up playing trumpet. And so we use them, you know, fun used them maybe a little, not excessively, but like, I thought that was kind of a secret weapon that we had was the ability to add a little texture in, in this kind of way. Well, out of verse two, we go into chorus two, another double chorus, same lyrics again. We get that harmony at the end with then the sun. synth is a bit louder here it sounds like it's louder in the mix and also changes some notes it's more playful here we also get those marching band snare pick-me-ups here mixed in with the drum track it's subtle but it's killer 
man, your ears are wild. <laughs> the way you pick up all this stuff is crazy <laughs> to me. Um, well, you, I'm, I'm going to tell you, to be fair, you guys stump me in the next part, okay? Oh, good. I'm, okay. I'm going <laughs> to give the Cliffs notes to the listeners on the bridge, because this thing is just out of this world. It's next level. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> in that chorus, the Moog does get a little more playful because, again, you you can kind of break the rules that you've established in the first chorus. You can have a little more fun. And I don't believe there's any copying and pasting we maybe did some of the vocals in the chorus or I, I don't think the vocals are just flown in from chorus to chorus i think nate just did all of those again i'm pretty sure i listened for that i mean it, this would be the perfect type of song to copy and paste you know choruses at least but sure i couldn't hear it if they are there i i couldn't pick them out it sounds like they're different performances which which i appreciate i think there's something uh something natural i think uh pe- people can feel that I think so. I think you can really homogenize a, a song very quickly when you're just like, oh, here's here's that literally again. Um, it adds a little life, even if somebody doesn't know it's necessarily happening. It just gives a slightly different, you know, feel and bit of, bit of life. And again, I think that's a testament to like Nate's skill as a singer that he can match his own voice so precisely. And then Jeff to know that like, okay, we need to create a very distinct world here from from second to second and um, not take any real shortcuts. Yeah. Out of chorus two, we go right into this bridge. tonight and after each line there's na 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 that happens i'm not going to read all of those but <laughs> carry me home tonight with the na na na's just carry me home tonight carry me home tonight just carry me home tonight the moon is on my side i have no reason to run so will someone come and carry me home tonight the angels never arrived but i can hear the choir so will someone come and carry me home we worked hard on those lyrics we couldn't really, there were a couple lines, like the angels line came later. And in general, the, the radio edit was quite a bit shorter than that. But on the full version, we really like kind of wanted to stretch, stretch out a little bit and really make it, yeah, I guess kind of an epic and, and to, you know, bring in these themes of, yeah, I guess like the afterlife or whatever it is, you know, we wanted it to feel big and grand and um, also personal, I guess. But but to almost yeah see the clouds parting see the angels hear the choir all that stuff we wanted it to feel very large and very kind of timeless or almost I don't know I guess I always think of things in terms of like a like a cathedral or something like what would this sound mm-hmm. like in a cathedral and and that part was kind of inspired by that sort of feel yeah there's something I don't know what the word is there there is something uplifting and spiritual churchy about this mm-hmm. part. But I feel like the lyric is almost like a call for help, which is so, that's what I love so much about music is like, there's this call for help. You got this spiritual thing happening here, but 
it, it's a pop song. There's all these, <laughs> there's all these like different things here. Uh, I called it the kitchen sink part of the song. It's the mm. busiest part here. There's, there's just everything uh, that you could possibly imagine. It's the, it's the biggest part of the song. We get those nanas panned off right and left on the right. That sounds like Janelle Monet. Is that correct? Would she be over on the right? I can't remember where we put her lead. I don't think she did any of the backing vocals. I believe she only did the carry me home tonight. I think that was all she did. But I remember playing a lot with the panning of the, the nanas. And then at one point I did these like, things uh-huh. which which i was as, as immediately after i did those i was like we have to lose those that is not working but everybody was like no it's working like let's leave it in <laughs> and so like there it is i'm so glad you said that because i'm trying to figure out how this part worked Okay, you got the na-na-na's, to me, they're pan right. You got some more na-na-na's pan left. You got the lead vocal that's coming in and out. There's harmonies happening. But then, again, there's so much going on. Usually I'd be able to break it down line by line of what happens. I can't distinguish. And when you start doing that woo-woo part, which I hear predominantly pan left, it it shouldn't work, but it does. (laughs) So that's what you're saying. You go, this doesn't work with everything because there's too much here. And then your bandmates are going, no, it's genius, which it is. It's awesome. <laughs> well, that's, that's maybe, that's very kind. Uh, I, th- I think it's just one of the, it's one of those things where when you're writing a song and any, anybody who has written a song, I think knows this, like when you have an idea, you have an idea of how things are going to fit in your head. And then when you do it out loud, it maybe works and it maybe doesn't. And sometimes like for me, it's like, oh, wait, that melody actually overlaps with itself in a way that fights and doesn't work. Or sometimes it's really cool. But generally for me, I'm like, I have to hear it in the room to know if it's a good idea or not. Because in my head, it Mm -hmm. might just not, you know, might not connect in the world. And that was one where I thought it didn't connect. (laughs) But fortunately, everybody else, you know, I guess thought it did. No, I I was trying again to, to, you know dessert where everything was in this and it was there's just so much going on i did my best talked about the nanas a second ago there's that woo thing you're talking about that's happening here too and there's a less busy marching band snare here which by slowing it down and not having it be as busy I think it makes this part sound heavier. Mm. You know, it's not as urgent in moving because there's so much happening here. I think if that snare was still going fast, it's kind of pulled back. It's different from the other snares in the song. And then at the last line here, it just builds to this amazing crescendo to go back down into the chorus, which again, that part on paper, looks like it shouldn't work. <laughs> sure, yeah. And 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 part of that too, what, what's happening there is... Jeff was playing a Juno synthesizer and messing with like the the cutoff to and then that ah. so that kind of helps like gives it this like extra lift and you can't even really hear it but you can feel it which kind of has become a part of the way I produce songs and write songs now is like I don't care what I can hear all I care is what I can feel and so that was a mm. perfect example of that learning process of like that has to be there. It gives us this body and this foundation and this like transitional beat that we're we're gonna not really notice, but it'll help. Gotcha. Well, chorus three comes right out of that bridge. It's I hate using the word jarring. It almost sounds like I'm knocking the song, but it just mm. it, it doesn't sound like it it should work. It does though. It comes right back down. Chorus three.
we get the same lyrics again. And what else could you have said here? And I, and that's my next question. Was there ever any other lyrics or, Hey, it's the third chorus. We got to rally here and put, put an extra line in or change things up. No, no. You know, we always, it was always just like, this is, we're going to make a pop song. We're going to go for it. We're going to throw in everything but the kitchen sink, like you said, and we're going to repeat that chorus again. Um, but it's funny. One one thing that I did want to mention about the chorus is that it started a little bit as a sort sort of cynical lyric, and it kind of became like a party lyric, a youth lyric. But it started a bit as like we're burning through fossil fuels, we're just destroying the planet. Screw it, let's set the world on fire. We might as well because tonight we're young. So let's you know whatever. We'll just burn brighter oh, and kind wow. of burn ourselves out as a human race. And so it ended up being like not the tack we took as as we were kind of finishing it and interpreting it. But um, that was that was kind of where the lyrics started. Oh, man. Thank you for sharing that. That's so cool, because I've heard that before with songs. They start out as something. And, uh, you know, thank goodness for it that you had that that initial idea, because it wouldn't have maybe spawned what it ended up being. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like we we liked it better. I think, you know, we've all written enough kind of cynical songs in our lives that like it felt kind of good to just be like, yeah, we're young. We're 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 vibrant. We're youthful. (laughs) I'm hip. I'm edgy. Um. But uh, yeah, by 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 2012, I would I would have had a hard time singing that song. Sure, youthful sure. And edgy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When we were we were not hip or edgy at the time. We were firmly in our in our 30s and uh, very yeah. tired at all times. Not looking any worse for the wear yet. Well, right. chorus three here. Uh, it breaks down on chorus three. We lose the growly moog. It's very spacious and atmospheric here. I can hear those delays and those reverbs. I love the first half of this. We can burn brighter than the sun. The organ swells into the second half of chorus three, just comes right up. The moog is back in, as is the staccato piano, and we get that wonderful harmony on Then the Sun, the last line, before we get into the next part, which... You know, we had talked about, you know, were there any other lyrics for the chorus or any other information? You don't need it because you get it in the, what I'm calling the coda at the end of this song. Sure. And man, what a way to tie up a song. It's just like Goosebump Central when I listen to this part. It is so good. So if by the time the bar closes and you feel like falling down, I'll carry you home tonight. So if by the time the bar closes and you feel like falling down, I'll carry you home tonight. There's just eight piano chords and an in-your-face personal vocal. It's so awesome. Such a great way to end a song. Yeah, I I, I like that a lot about it. We we go so big with all the sounds, every, every instrument at our disposal, essentially, and then shut it right down for the end. Make it more personal. I think I think something... I don't know if this was an intentional thought as we were doing it or not, but I always feel like through all the different shows that I've played in all these different bands and as much chatter as there's been in the crowd and people aren't paying attention or whatever, kind of the quieter you get, the more you can draw people in rather than trying to like overpower them and blast them out. Like sometimes that's what draws you a little bit more. So I always like that about the end, how it kind of like forces you to kind of like lean in a little bit. Crazy hypothetical question I've never asked anybody in Mm. over three years of this show. Does the song become the massive hit it is if the code is not there? Ooh, that's a great question. <laughs> I, 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 th- I think about this 
with with every part of my life actually every facet like what happens if (laughs) like you know i was in a car accident like what happens if like an inch to the left and you know whatever it it, i don't know i think the code is important i think i think you need a little bit more um not, not that it's like the most unique thing or anything but i do think that it's just those little flavors that add so much to the dish that where you're just like yeah it just helps just helps just gives us a little taste of something just my opinion i mean the core is just too undeniable but man that coda what what an awesome way to end the song and before we break first of all thank you for your time you know it's it's one of those things you you guys aren't. I guess fun's not active currently, so you know a lot, a lot of guys want to don't want to get on here and talk about a song maybe with the band's not active. I really appreciate you uh, talking about this one. It's such a special song. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I mean, my my pleasure. I I love music so much, and I think about it all the time. And I was I was teaching songwriting. I can tell. <laughs> and yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, and 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 vice versa. Like I can tell that you like deeply dig into this stuff, and and that shows in your writing as well. That like you know what you're doing, you know? And so to get to talk about this stuff and kind of nerd out is really a lot of fun. That's great. Well, before we break, what, what do you got coming up? Uh, uh, solo stuff. I know you got a new record in the can. Let's, uh, let's wrap about it. Yeah. So I started a new project called Metal Bubble Trio and uh, I, I have an album done called Cucumber that I just got the masters finalized um, all the files that I didn't even know what, I don't even know what to do with them yet. I just have them now. Cucumber is finished. I'm going to release it soon. I'm going over today with my friend Tommy to work on some artwork for it. And I'm just very excited. It's really, it's, it's taken me a long time to get back into writing songs that I feel really safe sharing. And it feels good to have kind of a body of work that's ready to, ready to rip. If you can give the, the, the listeners a uh, uh, one or two sentence pitch on the, the sound of this project. The intent was to make, an, make a Bossa Nova album. I got really into Bossa Nova um, wow. A Bossa Nova album that, what, what what would it sound like if like Frank Ocean and Gorillaz were back in time making a Bossa Nova album with like, you know, Jobim and Stan Getz and, you know, Gilberto or whatever. Like what would, what would Gorillaz, Frank Ocean and traditional Bossa Nova sound like? So that was kind of what, what spawned some of, some of the curiosity there. That is awesome. Well, hey, where can people find you online? At Andrew Dost on Instagram, at Metal Bubble Trio on Instagram. And that's it. That's about it. My website's down. I can't figure out websites for the life of me. Yeah, your website's Instagram now. Perfect. Right, exactly. Yeah. By the time this airs, <laughs> it'll be up, though. AndrewDoss.com, MetalBubbleTrio.com. Right on, Andrew. Thank you so much, bud. Yeah, thank you, man. Really a pleasure. Start to begin And then stop At the end Just let go The song you're hearing is Universal Themes from Metal Bubble Trio's soon-to-be-released album Cucumber. In preparation for this episode, Andrew sent me Cucumber, and it's so good. And you know how you can tell it's so good? 
Cucumbers are my least favorite food. And I've still listened to the album called Cucumber every single day since he sent it. Go follow Metal Bubble Trio on Instagram and don't go anywhere. There's lots more Krista Makes a Podcast coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Krista Makes a Podcast producer Chris Fafali is here. Do you enjoy music documentaries? I think I've watched every VH1 behind the music ever. Whether I was super familiar with the artist or not, I was always fascinated with the story. Well, that's what inspired me and my friends to create the Docu Podcast. I think I just invented that term. A band called Punchline, which, yeah, it's the story of the band that I've been in for like 70% of my life now. But we approach the story in a way that's relatable to anyone who's played in a band or loved music or experienced heartbreak or struggled or has just been on a Forrest Gump-like journey through life. I'm really proud of this pod, so if you're a Krista Makes a Podcast or a One Hit Thunder fan, I think you'll love it. You can subscribe to a band called Punchline for free wherever you get your podcasts. Check it out. It would mean the world to me, and I think you'll love it. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via mp3 only and a short bio to band you might not know at gmail.com this week's featured artist is humble kings from the pacific northwest a punk rock duo featuring adrian sendoya and kevin mackey if you like super fast melodic punk rock with catchy harmonies this is for you here's a snippet of their song zero sum game Chris and Chris. Chris, you know I was excited about this episode. I'm a big Andrew Dost guy. Love fun. Love everything this guy puts out. And on top of it, he's a super nice guy. And on top of that, as you brought up, this is the biggest song that we've ever had or ever broken down on the podcast. You brought up the YouTube plays, which a billion. <laughs> a billion is an insane number. That is, Chris, a billion is a thousand million. Uh, yeah. It's... <laughs> and that's just the tip of the iceberg. This song won the Grammy for Song of the Year in 2013. And um, on top of that, like it spent six weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. I mean, it's seriously one of the biggest songs like ever kind of it is and and i absolutely love it i don't hate it you know a lot of times songs get so big that you're just like ah it's annoying i don't want to hear it or you know that's just kind of human nature not this track i even told andrew off uh off recording uh we, we we wrapped a little bit at the end of just you know how special this song is you know musicians 
our, our whole lives. I mean, most of us, like we could never imagine having a song that big and not many people get to have a song that big. And he did. It's, you know, um, I think there's something to be said too. I didn't really mention it in the episode, Chris, that, you know, these were just three friends that came together. They put the first record out. There was really no pressure to do a follow-up because the first record didn't go through the roof. So they were just writing another batch of songs. And, uh, you know, can't be stated enough uh, what Jeff Basker, the producer, brought to the table. Yeah, I think that was a big move on their part to work with Jeff. I mean, some of the other songs that Jeff has produced, for example, Chris, Locked Out of Heaven by Bruno Mars, incredible song. Um, He co-produced Uptown Funk with Mark Ronson. He co-produced Find Your Love and Show Me a good time by drake from thank me later album like the dude has produced massive songs worked on a lot of hip-hop and i think the elements of those sorts of production lent themselves so magically to this song and this album you know absolutely there's there's nothing to me yeah, you can pick out little things. You ask some Beach Boys and Queen or whatever, but uh, these guys are their own animal, Chris. There's nothing that really sounds like fun. I remember when I first heard it, and of course, my ties to it were through uh, Fuel by Ramen. Uh, you know, as you, everyone knows, or most people know, I have a big history, and so does Less Than Jake with Fuel by Ramen. And uh, a lot of the, my friends that were working there at the time are like, you got to hear this new fun record. This thing's incredible. Adam was one of them. Uh, Adam Samilja. Yeah. If you're listening to Adam, hello. Um, he was just like, you got to hear this moment. Melissa over there, she was just like, this is on, this is next level. And um, they were right. Yeah, they were. Hey, another interesting thing about, you know, something that Jeff said, I love stories about producers who are very enthusiastic. I've worked with producers who are very enthusiastic before, and it just makes you more excited about the whole process. But he brought up about how as soon as you hear the toms, you're going to know what song it is. And it made me think of like when you hear the fill at the beginning of Smells Like Teen Spirit, you instantly know what that song right. is, you know? Um, well, you know what it is from the guitar or whatever too, but when you're talking about drums, I just, th- that's so cool to be thinking about that. I never really think about that, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's a billion different things you could be thinking about when you're writing a song, but thinking about from the listener's perspective that they're going to recognize this the second they hear it. Yeah. And, and, and what a crazy arrangement again, that, that, that Tom, uh, that drum intro that we hear that goes into the verse, which goes into what we were calling that pre-chorus completely different parts. Then the chorus hits completely different part. And that's really hard in a pop song. Again, I I look at this song as like an 11 minute song that they somehow shrunk a rock opera down into four minutes, but did it just perfectly. It's impressive, man. Hey, oh, real quick, Chris, by the way, it is Moog. It's not Moog. It's Moog. I went on their website and they said it's Moog that rhymes with Vogue. I've never heard (laughs) anybody say Moog. And now I feel yeah. like kind of an idiot for correcting Andrew because I'm I'm the <laughs> chief idiot here. It's Moog. Who knew? I, you're not an idiot. I've called it Moog forever, too. I think most people Man. have, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> some more things about this that I thought were really cool. Hey, man, I got to tell you, Andrew is a real deal, as you may have known when you're talking to him, a real deal with huge less than Jake fan. Like that night, you and him called me from the bathroom at the Detroit show, like on FaceTime and like answered. And I'm like, who is that guy? He's like, Hey, Chris, Andrew Dost. I'm like, Oh, what's up, man. And anyway, 
real deal less than Jake fan. And I loved that he cited metalheads as an example where when he was talking about how you kind of established the rules in the first verse, but the second verse is a chance to break those rules. Uh, I thought that was really cool that he he cited metalheads there. Yeah, absolutely. And just, I, and I'm sure it came across, but you know, to, to everybody listening, but what a nice guy. So yeah. humble. And uh, he's a music nerd. He's like me. He loves diving into this kind of stuff. And I'll tell you yeah. something. One of the most un-rock and roll things I've ever heard is when he said they were hanging out eating Brussels sprouts. I've never heard a band say <laughs> that. I like Brussels sprouts, but I thought, thought that was odd. Brussels sprouts are rock and roll now. You didn't know that? I've been rocking brussels sprouts for a couple years they've moved to the top of my list of one of my favorite foods man they've been really people have been making them really rock and roll lately andrew is so sweet he said it just off the cuff like it's a normal thing yeah we're in the studio hanging out having some brussels sprouts it's like uh. i want to have some brussels sprouts with andrew dost at some point (laughs) hey chris also the kitchen sink bridge the one thing i was thinking about is like they threw the kitchen sink in so hard that they're like Let's throw in Janelle Monet too. What the hell? Let's, yeah. let's just go. Let's go as crazy as possible. Chris, you asked him, does the song become a massive hit even without the coda? And I thought really <laughs> hard about that. And you know what I think? I do think it's an important part of the song. I do think it wraps it up perfectly and gives it a real emotional sort of ending. But I still think it's a hit without it. I think that chorus is too undeniable. That's uh, that's my feeling, and I and I said it, and I I, I stand by it. Yeah, I think I, I still think it's a hit, but man, that coda is absolutely beautiful. Something else that's beautiful. <laughs> you want to hear more of Chris and Chris? You can come, <laughs> come join. Hey, listen, this is basically our Patreon. It's called Supporting Cast. It's the same thing as Patreon. It's our VIP program. You can go to chrisdemakes.com, and for the price of a cup of coffee or two a month, you can get bonus episodes of the After Party with Chris and I. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun it's beautiful it's a beautiful beautiful vip program we put out gorgeous bonus episodes every week and you get a luxurious back catalog of these beautiful episodes the second you sign up for the cost of a what do we like to say for a cost of a apple juice at the cracker barrel (laughs) apple juice at the cracker barrel about 379 (laughs) you can hear chris and i yap at you some more so yeah get over to chrisdemakes.com and uh give chris a follow on instagram he loves he loves feeling the love chris (laughs) fafalius on Instagram, and uh, you can find me uh, at less than Chris D. I'm still doing those custom songs, Chris Demakes at gmail.com. If you'd like info about my custom songs or jingles for you, that special someone, or your pizza restaurant, whatever, I'll write you a song, Chris Demakes at gmail.com. And want to thank this week's guest, one of the most humble, sweetest guys I've ran into in a long time, Mr. Andrew Dost, and we'll see you next week. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. 
And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. <laughs>